before we get to today's show, we have some exciting news to share. Season one of Zero to IPO has been a great success thanks to you, our listeners. But? No but. Ah! There's no but. Here comes season two. Here comes season two. Yeah! (laughs) We've gotten a lot of feedback from people who have specific problems that they're facing at each stage of their own journey. I prefer to call them opportunities. Well, opportunities, problems, challenges, whatever you want to call them. There are listeners out there who want help solving specific problems. And so we have decided that season two is going to be about you, our listeners. How are you gonna scale your company, the culture problems, you're having issues with your founders, go to market, building product, building engineering, raising capital. So consider emailing us your concerns, your issues, your challenges. And in season two, we will dive into those specific problems that you're having. Email us zero to IPO at octa.com. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O-I-P-O at okta.com. And with that, here's the show. Whatever it is that you do, there are no secrets. It's just putting in that work. I think that the job gets harder as the, you know, things get larger. So I, I feel like I haven't plateaued, but there's still so much more to learn. Welcome back to Zero to IPO, the show where we talk about what it takes step-by-step to get a company from idea to massive success. I'm Joshua Davis, co-founder of Epic Magazine and a contributing editor at Wired. And I'm Frederick Harris, co-founder of Okta. Today on the podcast, we're talking about hitting clutch shots. That time when it's all coming around, when you've got to step up to the plate, you got to take that big shot, and not only take it, you got to hit it. Whether it's a big interview, you really have to land that new executive you need at your company. It's a big prospect meeting. You need that landmark customer to push the business forward. It's a huge partnership deal. you got to land the partner. You need it for go-to-market. It might be a new investor deal. You need that round of financing to accelerate your business into the future. Whatever it is, it's time to hit the big shot. You got to pick it up, step it up, and hit it, baby. (laughs) Jesus. What what did you have for breakfast? Freddie's going to hit the clutch shot that is this episode. No, to be honest, I really enjoy those moments. I I mean, mean, they happen to everybody. They happen to everybody, and they happen to everybody a lot. Yeah. You might not realize them, or you might not see them coming. I think one of the things of building a company is you just have to be prepared. And in fact, I really have found that I enjoy approaching and ideally hitting those clutch shots more the more prepared I am. The calmer I get, the more I can enjoy it. When I know the material, I know what's going to happen. I've, I've seen it. I looked at every angle. Then I could just get up there and shoot. Today on the podcast, we have Andre Iguodala. We've got Amy Pressman of Medallia and Andre Iguodala again. <laughs> Let's just kick it right off, Freddie, with our conversation with Andre. Andre Iguodala of the Golden State Warriors, an NBA team, National Basketball Association. He was the MVP, the most valuable player of the 2015 NBA Finals. And we sat down with Andre because not only is he an amazing athlete, but by the way, he's pretty involved in technology and business as well. And he was able to give us an amazing outlook on what he does to prepare himself to take those major shots. And you're talking about national audience on television, millions of people watching, a NBA championship on the line, 20,000 people going crazy in the stadium. I mean, I cannot think of a bigger stage to start with. So when you're talking about hitting the clutch shots, we couldn't really think about a better person to talk to than Andre Iguodala. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about what happens off the court? What does it take to get ready for game night? I mean, you may say to us, you just walk out on the court and you're ready to go and you don't have to do anything. So there's a lot of work people do not see, which is crazy. So the hardest thing is about finding your calling and then putting that work in for it. And the earlier you find it, the better, obviously. So the later you find it, the more catching up you have to do. And then as you get older, you don't have to kill yourself as much. So it may look easy now, but all that, I started playing basketball when I was like five. Right. What people don't understand is that we build our lives around the game too. So they don't see, I'm having a discussion with my wife about the bedroom. Like take the TV out. The TV's been going out the bedroom for like seven years now. The sheets, like we're constantly like, okay, who is there a new sheet out? That it keep the, the coolness on the body. I just got a new mattress last year. After I didn't, you know, I had a great mattress. Okay, there's a better mattress. Uh, there's like this little crack in the blinds at our house right now and it kills me. Okay, that's the next step. Like we gotta, you try to perfect your surroundings to prepare you or have you as ready as possible for the thing that's put us in the position that we're in to be the best at what we do, to be compensated the way that we do. And to, there's a short window. There's constant guys coming in that's more talented than you that are always, it's just like a company. There's always somebody that's trying to disrupt what you've disrupted. And it's, it's similar. So you try to cross every T and dot every I to make sure you stay at that height for it as long as possible. And, you know, Father Time is undefeated. So as you are on a decline, it's not a steep decline. It's just gradual. And then you're kind of making your way for whatever's next, which is what I, you know, what I've been yeah. trying to do in the tech world. Yeah. And you've also done your career, average career in the NBA is what, four years? Right. Yours is what, 15, 16? Right. Exactly. Right, right. So that doesn't happen by accident. That's about all the preparation that you put in around it. Right. It's about making sure that you're ready. It's having that, that respect for the game. I always say the reverence for the game and, and just understanding that, you know, knowing the history of the game is far more important than a lot of people know. Whatever it is that you do, there are no secrets. Right. It's just putting in that work. Putting in the time. Yeah. We're talking about the parallels between basketball, playing on a team, and business. Are there coaching lessons? Now that you are an entrepreneur, you've been an entrepreneur for a while, are there things that you think about that you've heard from coaches, basketball coaches throughout your life that you think are relevant oh, to every, business? Every day. What I've been hearing a lot, talking to different CEOs, they always want to have that conversation with me about coming off the bench and how I sacrifice for the team. Like they say, you don't understand how we try to push the message of teamwork and sacrificing and, and lessening the ego. He said, it's in our world with a lot of engineers, they know it all, you know, they're some of the brightest minds in the world. So they, no one wants to take the back seat on this play. I hear that more than anything. And what I've learned from coaches is how to differ, deal with different egos. You know, I played with some of the best players, uh, I play with the best players of all time. You know, I've been on an Olympic team, world championship team, world championship, uh, NBA championship team. Um, Kevin Durant, uh, Steph Curry, uh, play with LeBron, uh, play with Kobe. Uh, they, you know, they're top 10 players, top 15, arguably, of all time. Everyone has an ego. Right. Some is less or more. You just but have those four you just mentioned, it's probably more. Well, as an example. As it, yes, but they have different personalities so you treat each ego differently you actually have to learn about them you have to know who you're coaching 
and the coaches who have a better feel for their players always have better production coming from the court. The overarching theme of this particular episode is hitting the clutch shots. Maybe take us back to, I think it was uh, 2000. Uh, in the A- AAU National, oh, AAU oh, National oh, Championship 2001. 2001. Wow, we go way the back. The buzzer. You right. hit right. the game-winning shot. To describe right. what happened. The championship. So, so that was like my coming out party. Like um, I, like I said, I was a late, late bloomer. So like no one heard of me. And um, I played AAU one year, which is unheard of nowadays. Like kids are playing AAU at nine. They start at nine, and then there's who's the best nine year old in the country, and they start rankings that young. It's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. But um, I had a, a pretty good summer. Like I was on the scene, and I started making some headlines. But that tournament was the national tournament, so I started making headlines. You know, because our team was winning, and we were getting farther and further. So we were in the semifinals, and um, that's when I started getting scouted. Like teams are like, okay, he's the man on the team. We're gonna send our, our our hounds on him, our dogs on him. And uh, I was struggling that game because they were keying in on me. I was like, whoa, you know, I got the best players in the world keying in on me. Like, I never thought th- this moment was coming that fast. Like, it just came that fast. You so, mean they were like, everybody was guarding you and, and right. double so they, teaming. They had the best double players on, on me, you know, get the ball out of his hands, don't let them make plays. And it was like, whoa. So uh, it was a good experience to go through that. And I was struggling that game just trying to find it. I remember that game. And, uh, you know, my teammates were like, you're fine. Just keep playing. And I just got a little frustrated. And it was funny. One of the guys on the team was like, I'm getting you the ball and I'm giving it to you. And I was like, all right, cool. And the play wasn't really drawn up like that. And he just made a decision. That you're, he your got teammate. the ball. He did exactly that. He caught the ball and just turned around and just threw it to me. <laughs> it's all on you. <laughs> and it was like, you live in those moments as a kid. And then when it happened, it was is almost exactly like I was by myself. Like I remember catching the ball and turning around and just shooting it. And I was, like, far. Like, I wasn't, like, by the three-point line. I was, like, some feet back, like, just across half court. And I caught it and just – I don't remember anybody being around. I just remember shooting the ball. A guy kind of hit me. I didn't even see him, and I fell backwards. Because the buzz is kind of – this is, yeah, like, right. seconds. It's, like, two seconds to go when I caught it. No dribbles, just caught it, turned around and shot it. And um, I shot it, kind of saw the ball. I shot it, and I look at the rim when I shoot. So I shot it, and then I got hit and fell back. And then I looked over and just looking at the hoop and I didn't even see the ball. And then I just saw it go through. And then our coach went crazy. And then like I went crazy because it was like, oh, oh, it went in. Like, and from that that point on, it's almost, I'd rather like, I feel like I shoot better when it really means something. Like, because that's when you really lock in. It's like, um, when the shot clock's going down and it's like three seconds on the shot clock, that's the easiest shot to me. And guys are like, what? Cause it's like, there's a grenade. We call it the grenade. If it's six seconds on the shot clock. It's gonna blow up in your hands. Don't throw it to somebody else. It's like the golden rule. Like don't throw me a grenade. Right. But for me, I don't care. I'm like, if it's coming, I'm gonna make it. Like it's, we call it the F you shot. Like yeah. it's, it's, if you have the right approach, you should you should want adversity. You should want to go through you know the tough parts of the game, and it makes it easier when you do go through them. It's just like wanting to be in that moment, and like your laser locked in. Do you think one of the reasons that you're locked in and you enjoy that is because you're just confident? You've taken that shot. There's muscle memory. You're not even thinking about it. 
And I think I think it's the intent you do it as well. What do you mean by that? You learn how to work hard too. As you grow older, you learn how to work hard, and you learn how to work work hard with better talent, better coaching, obviously uh, making the most out of your talent. All that comes into play as well, and 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 learning how to um, practice at a high level. But I think that to also hit those shots the way you do and want to take those shots, I'm going to take a guess that you enjoy it. I'm going to take a guess that you got a smile on your face when you're like, here we go, three, two, one. To do that, you have to have a certain amount of confidence. I found in my business when I'm doing that, it's because I'm excited and I'm excited because I know it all. Right. I'm not nervous because I prepared. Right. If I'm nervous, it's that I haven't quite prepared enough. Do you see, is it a similar thing? It's exactly the same. And that goes back to, I say, having a reverence for the game. Like if you really respect what you do and you have a joy for it, you have a passion for it, you're going to put your all into it. So when those moments do come, you're confident in those moments. It's like, oh, this is nothing. This is what I've actually been working for. Like, you know, that moment is going to come. I want to win. I'm playing the right way. You know, I'm working my tail off. So I know I have the right intentions and, you know, you, you have that mindset, you're going to have success. And when you do have it, it's like, okay, there it is. And it's like, it's like a high. You want to continue. You want to keep doing it. I think it's amazing, Josh, when Andre talks about how he performs better when it really means something. I love that. There's this sense sometimes that you have to like turn off and you hear a lot of talk about the flow and how it's almost like, I don't remember what happened, which, okay, fine. It, you know, maybe. But what we're hearing from Andre is rather than diffuse the moment, you have to infuse the moment. You infuse it with meaning. When someone can perform at that level, they're clearly not just waiting for that shot. They're taking all the shots seriously. Like they're probably the guys in practice being like, this is what it would be like to be in the NBA Finals. You always hear those super successful athletes at the end of their championship runs when they say, I always dreamed of being the two strikes, two outs, bottom of the ninth base hitter in the World Series. They think about that. They practice that. And I think there's a great takeaway there, which is you need to play all these other moments like they are those critical moments. So in your own career, you know, as a kid, were you imagining yourself like in Nebraska selling enterprise software at like Oklahoma. Uh, oh, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, Nebraska, were, but in Oklahoma. And I was, <laughs> so I tapped into it. <laughs> no. That was your dream that you were playing through no. your brain. My I had to hit the clutch shot no, in Oklahoma. My dream was Stanley Cup Finals, Game 7, Games on the Line. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't work out. Games on the Line, taking that massive slap shot from the point, putting it top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> So, Freddie, I, here's a question I have. You often have this sense that people who hit the clutch shots are just enormously confident, and, it, and it's almost their confidence that wins the day as much as their talent. Do you think it's like a 50-50 balance? I think this is called the power of and, Josh. <laughs> I think it's 100% of both. I think you need to have the talent, I think you need to have the confidence, and you need to put them together. I mean, these clutch shots don't happen often. And when they do, you need the preparation, you need the skill, you need the experience, and then you need to hit it. Our next guest knows a lot about this because she has built herself into a consummate saleswoman. I'm talking about Amy Pressman of Medallia. There is this sense that sales is a dirty word. Mm-hmm. How do you learn to be, a, how do you become a better salesperson? How can people practice this? Mm -hmm. How can you get better as a salesperson? 
Yeah. So I've, I, um, I don't know if I, I mentioned this to you, but I did go to this entrepreneurship conference that the Stanford Business School um, put on about 10 years ago. And there was this one session oversubscribed on sales. And everybody in there had started a company and they're like, why didn't you teach us about sales when we were in business school? And they said, because you wouldn't take the courses. You thought it was for the dumb jocks in high school. And and everybody sort of sat a little bit and said, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, like I'm, I'm mortified to say that now, but that is kind of how I thought about it. Why is that? Because it was it, you had the sense that oh, this is like door to door sales. Is that is that where the connotation came from? I think so. I think yeah. you know, like, um, I mean, how many people do you know from your undergraduate years who have gone into sales? It's strange because this is one of the core competencies that you need as as an entrepreneur. It seems mm-hmm. to me, and yet there's. It's, it, it's almost like you have to just be born able to do it. Mm-hmm. I love selling. I was not in the Girl Scouts. I was not in the Campfire Girls, but I love selling Campfire candy for my friends. I mean, I love selling the magazines during high school when we had a fundraising drive. I mean, I just really like doing that. And I was actually in Junior Achievement in high school. You know that organization? Oh, you sort of start a little company when you're in high school. So there was something in there. Always. Um, I think, um, but really starting the company and uh, honestly, starting a company is a huge sales job, right? You're selling, I mean, you're selling customers on products you don't yet have. When you're getting started, you're selling investors, you're selling people to come work with you. There's, there's, it's, it's just nonstop sales. So I think over time, there's just a real development of appreciation. And then as I learned more about specifically enterprise software sales and really started talking to some of the people in the Valley, I mean, I just got tremendous respect for how difficult and important that job is. And I think that's starting, my sense is that's percolating and trickling into business schools and things like that. I think there are more sales courses now than there were when I was there, but yeah, that's like my this sense. class, like this course you were talking about. Yeah, years this ago. was just a you know like a session Continuing. at a at a you know at a conference. But yeah, I, that's my sense. Still very underrepresented, though. I think there's still just a handful of classes. When I was in graduate school, um, there was a class called Technology Sales and Sales Management, and I actually TA'd, TA'd it. You had to put the word technology on it to get people to take it. Uh, you probably right, yeah. and uh, I TA'd it uh, two times, and uh, you know it taught like the the very basics of sales, right? Uh, but the basics of sales are um, like you said, it's a lot of the things you have to do anyway to start a company. Mm-hmm. But it's about communication. Yep. It's about storytelling. Yep, sales is about storytelling. It's about understanding who the other person is mm-hmm. because it's not what you want to sell; it's what someone else wants to buy. Right. Right. And so you don't want to just sell something. And interesting to what you were saying earlier about um, being able to listen carefully. Mm-hmm. I always suggest to people that they behave more like a fennec fox mm-hmm. than an alligator. It's a fennec fox. A fennec fox. Do you know what a fennec fox I is? I don't know. I have no I, idea. I, what are you talking about? Well, you know the attributes of an alligator. They bite. Big mouth, yeah. small ears. Fennec ah. fox has a very small mouth and very big ears. And that's what I always tell people. You want to be, you know, there's a lot of things in, in sales, but certainly don't be an alligator salesperson. Big mouth, small ears. Right. Do you feel like you've become a better salesperson over time? I think I have learned. And I also think um, that the job gets harder as the, you know, things get larger. So I, I feel like I haven't plateaued, but there's still so much more to learn. Josh, what I think is really interesting here is, you know, cer- certainly nonstop sales is something that 
Amy talks about and that everyone can identify with. But I think the more interesting thing is she says it gets harder as it gets bigger. It's almost like the bigger the stage, the harder it is to hit that clutch shot. Did you feel that in your career? As Okta grew, was it harder to, to land the I'm big not clients? sure it was. Yeah. I think that once you get that level of confidence and that level of talent, you built those muscles up, it actually gets more fun. So there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. There's definitely hope. So, Freddie, let's, let's go back to Andre Iguodala to, to end the episode because I think he ties a lot of the things that we've been talking about together. So we've talked about the confidence versus talent and how it's not an or, you actually need both. And Andre kind of sees that in, a, in an NBA basketball game. Tough times happens to everyone. Right. It's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast. Yes. So entrepreneurs understand that. You went through, let's call them less easy times mm -hmm. in some of those years in Philadelphia. What was your mindset? What was your approach? The approach is just keep working, knowing that there's like light at the end of the tunnel. That, I think that's what any, anyone and everyone should do. But could you see that light in Philadelphia? What or, was the or, light? Uh, or were you just thinking, I'm going to assume there's light and I'm going to keep going? Well, the competitor, competitor in you is like, if there, even if there is no light, there's no laying down. Like There's no such thing. And then it's like, you know, what are your motivating factors? You know, uh, who are some of the people that you looked up to? They've all been in tough situations. And that's going back to reverence for the game, like having respect for whatever it is that you do, understanding that it's supposed to be hard. Like I always say to my son, and it's like, listen, if it's not hard, then you're not doing it right and you're not getting anything out of it. So you kind of embrace, you, you really, you're embracing the more, the, the, the hard parts more than, you know, you're enjoying the success, and Charles Barkley said it, I hate losing more than I like winning. And it's really not healthy, but <laughs> it actually is. It works. It actually works. Yeah, I like to say that if it weren't hard, everyone would be doing it. Exactly. In Philadelphia, you talk about how hard it was. Was there ever a point where you thought, maybe I could just retire? Um, no. Or become a coach? I would never coach. No? I say that now, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> I say that now. But um, it was never, like I said, it was never laid down. It was like, we're going to get it right. Like, I feel like I am the guy to turn things around, and uh, I'll get it right. And putting more pressure on yourself than others is something that we should all do as well. You know, it goes back to accountability, holding yourself account accountable, taking ownership, and, you know, that message got through and I was like, OK, I'm going to take us to where we got to go, because also you have to have that confidence. I think um, confidence is underrated. But people still don't know what confidence really is, you know, uh, being confident and being cocky are two totally different things. You know, confidence. What's the difference? Confidence is knowing you, the work you put in and just being honest with yourself. Like if you really are. Like if you really have set your whole environment, whether it's within whatever you do or outside of whatever you do, and you've taken that whole environment and tailored it to getting the most out of yourself or whatever it is you do, that's confidence. Like, okay, I put all the work that I'm supposed to put in. You know, I put, I've surrounded myself with the people who are going to get the most out of me. And, and cocky? Cocky is just... Making shit up? Cocky is you're just talented. You know, there's a lot of guys who are just talented and, and 
there there are some who are so talented that they're just going to get by on their talent. But at the end of the day, they're they're not going to get out of it what they're supposed to. And they're going to come up short at some point. I mean, you got some people who are billionaires or who have, you know, are in a Hall of Fame that are cocky, but they should have been the greatest there was. So, you know, I always say success is um, you determine success by maximizing your potential. My whole mindset was just, you know, just keep finding motivating factors, like whatever that may maybe be through music or, or maybe it'd be through just watching old basketball tapes. And then sometimes you learn watching yourself play well is huge for the confidence. Like you just go back and you watch like game tapes on yourself. You watch a game tape on yourself playing well. You're like, oh, man, like I'm, I was forgot that that existed. And that wasn't <laughs> that long ago. You know, it was like last month you had a really good game. And then you just start that, that confidence thing is, is really key. That's an interesting tip if you're in business to perhaps reflect back on some successes you've had before you go into a meeting or whatever it is. Because in business, it's very much like short-term mind span. Right. It's like, I can't even remember success we had last month because I'm so into what's happening today and tomorrow. Right. Last quarter was last quarter. Last quarter. I, I, we already shipped that one. Yes. I already patted myself on the yes. back for that last yes. week. Yes. Yeah. You know, Steve Kerr says it a lot. Guys, it's not that bad. Like, we're still number one in the league. We, we'll lose two games in a row and it's like the world's going to end. Yeah. Like, well, I, you guys, I mean, particularly when you were on your winning streaks. Right. It's like, guys, we just, we just won 10 in a row before we lost two in a row. Let's, let's talk about that in relationship to how businesses have quarters. And, and Freddie and I were talking about this before you got here, where his mentality at the start of a quarter is come out charging and dominate from the get-go. The Warriors don't always do that in a game. You guys have a habit of like starting out behind mm-hmm. and then catching up. What, how do you think about that mentality? There, there's, there's something that people may not understand about that scenario that uh, occurs frequently. It's that we're playing against, um, we, we're in the, the most talented basketball players in the world. And everyone is good. Like that's another misconception is like, oh, that 14th or 15 guy on the bench, uh, he's all right. It's like, no, everybody that is on the NBA roster is good. So when we go up against other teams, there's another factor that we're playing the world champions, we're playing the Golden State Warriors, and we're on national TV. Like some teams, that's their only national TV game of the year. You got the target on your back. So everyone plays their best game when you're coming game to town. When we play them. Those talented guys that just rely on our talent, they're laser focused that night. You know, guys that normally don't make that shot, make that shot. Guys that miss free throws are making their free throws. Guys that, you know, don't play defense, playing hard on defense. So our thing is, look, we're going to use our depth. You know, they might keep it close, but it's 48 minutes for a reason. And uh, when we keep our principles, we do the things we're supposed to do. Um, We're the most talented, but we're also, you know, one of the more efficient and we do it the right way. And it looks like we're letting the team get a lead, but they're just playing out of their minds and that's just and then we just do what we gotta do and come back and win right and then at the end of the third quarter you're up by 20 right yeah (laughs) it happens really fast (laughs) let's talk about um some moments that perhaps people either didn't recognize it or questioned you you know for instance when you turned pro Mm -hmm. uh a lot of people Mm -hmm. didn't think you had what it took you know, Dick Vitale, for instance, famously said that right. they made a mistake. You know, what was the impact of that on you? People questioning you, uh, the media questioning you. How do you deal with that? 
At, at that point, I was too young to really understand. Uh, the funny thing is, though, that I, I could hear Dick Vitale as I'm getting interviewed at, after I got drafted. And you can hear everything. You can hear the live broadcast. So I can hear Dick Vitale saying this. Like, I can hear it. When you heard that, what did you feel? I was in the middle of, like, another interview. So I was like, whoa. But, but then I'm just trying to, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on in your life. If you're just getting drafted. It's like it's a real moment. And it's like you kind of, like, freeze. And you're like, what's next? You kind of don't know what quite to do. You don't know how to feel. I always tell the story. My first workout with Tim Grover, the first drill, the very first drill. It's just so simple. This drill kind of sets. It kind of that really helped me for my career. Like not even halfway through it, I was like, uh, I might want to go back to college. <laughs> you were like, maybe I'm not ready for hard. this. Yeah. And this the drill was so simple. I'm like, yo, this is the first thing. Like, I'm not going to make it. I'm like, man, if you're not ready for this, you should probably go back to school. But I got through the drill. And once you get the first through the first week, you pretty much know where you stand. And I was training with these guys every day. So I was like, oh, OK, I'm good enough. So just training with him, I knew I was good enough. A lot of our listeners are going to be uh, managers, entrepreneurs, people who have to manage teams, uh, build teams, build teams, teams, hopefully of high performers. Um, you work on a team of high performers. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that team? How do you get everybody to play together? How do you get the best from everybody? What are, what are some insights that you have? I think having a good sense of who each individual is. You know, I know who Steph is. Um, I've learned that golf rounds with him um, really help both of us out. It helps me out because I just see how gifted he is and I can just slow down. See a good a golfer? Bit and see a great, great. Better than you? Oh, it's not even close. So he can probably go pro. But we've had some really good bonding moments on the golf course where we can talk about basketball and it's relaxed and it's not tense and it's not, I'm not criticizing him. He's not criticizing me. We just out there playing golf and you know, I can say, well, man, I think you should have did this. Or he can say, look, man, you got to have confidence when you do this, just like you got to have confidence when you swing in the club. And then, you know, with he's Clay, giving you golf tips. Right. But I, it translates to the basketball court. He's like, look, man, you keep passing up these shots. I need you to shoot. So I'm like, OK, cool. And I can give him some tips as well. What I see, like, look, man, you give me the ball it's coming right back to you. So we're basically saying the same thing to each other. Communicating with Draymond is totally different. Like if he's yelling at me and I yell back. And then we start arguing. It gets on my nerves, but it gets him going. Yeah. He's like, yeah, now you're ready to play. So he's, and, and he gets <laughs> he it wants it. He wants it. He That's what he thrives off of. And so you got to adapt and play that way. Everyone is different. The thing with our team is that we've built a culture where everyone holds themselves accountable. So we brought in guys who want to be great. Everybody wants to be great and no one's satisfied. Like after we won a championship, like two days later, we're like man, we got to do this next year. Like, what are we going to do this summer so we can be ready? Like, what went wrong last year? Like, we always, we've been joking, like, man, last year wasn't that fun. It wasn't that good. Like, we we struggled. And this is where we After struggled. winning the championship. After winning the championship. Again. And we were like, yo, I can't wait to next year. Because we know, like, we was like, oh, man, we didn't get this right. And we got it right when we had to, but it was almost too late. So this is what we got to do. I can't wait till next year. That's what everyone kept saying. I can't wait till next year. You've been spending some time with uh, with more and more entrepreneurs. You become a successful investor, even uh, an 
working in some of these companies. Uh, what are some of the similarities and differences? We just talked about a whole bunch, responsibility, accountability, teamwork. Right, well, I've heard a lot about team building. You know, I have, I'm having a lot of those discussions. It's like, um, I had a conversation with the CEO of Zoom yesterday. Eric. Yes, Eric. Glenn. Yes, great guy. Great guy. He's a huge basketball guy. He broke down my game and he was like, I wish every one of my employees were just like you. Like, play the right way. Don't want any recognition for anything. Just go do it, have fun and do it, enjoy it. But everyone wants to be the star. He's like, that's the hardest part of team building. So I actually hear that a lot. And another thing that I hear is on the flip side is you can be talented in the tech world, but that won't equate to success. Like you still got to put the work in. I mean, I shouldn't say you don't have to put the work in in basketball, but I've seen a lot of guys who are just amazing talents. And they still made the Hall of Fame. They still made the All-Star team because they were that good. But they they don't quite understand the talent and the potential that they really have. You know, they get comfortable. You know, I, I think that's something that happens in it happens in a lot of sports, you know, when you get comfortable and and you know, we a lot of our success happens early on. You know, like you'll be in high school one year just joking around with the guys and then two years later you're in the NBA and you got 15, 20 million dollar contract. You know, it's just it's just human nature, you know, especially after you get your first big contract, you can kind of You're like, I made it. Kind of relax. I mean, because once somebody gives you a hundred million dollars, it's like it's easy to relax. But similarly, <laughs> if you're uh, <laughs> that's very easy to do. But but I, I never thought about it like that because I'm always like, man, it's like I don't even play for the money. It's just like I just want to keep dominating. But it's similar in a way to startup culture because you get a $15 million check from a VC and you can't relax. Yes. So yes. It, it, similarly, when you're a young player, it's kind of like you're getting a, a, you know, a, a bet placed on you. Mm-hmm. But that's how I felt with my contract. You get the contract and it's like there's no relaxing. Like now the target's on your back. More so than even being an NBA championship team, especially being in Philadelphia. Like target's on your back for the other team and for the city. Like, we gave you all this money now. What are you going to do? One thing that you said, I want to go back to you said, um, now it's not about the money anymore. I'm just doing it because I want to dominate. Mm-hmm. So some people who are long-term successful serial entrepreneurs, they've been doing it 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they just do it again and again and again and again. It's the same kind of thing. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, I think everyone wants to have a purpose. Everyone wants to do something they enjoy doing, and they enjoy working hard at it. Working hard is just a different feeling, I think. Like if 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 you're really focused on wanting your body to look a certain way and you're working hard at it and you see the results, you're like, you become addicted to it. It's the same thing with uh, like food. Like I've kind of set my whole life around it with the exception of cleaning up after myself, which my wife would say is, I'm, I'm sorely lacking in that department. But like in my food, like I, I can cook. I don't cook that much, but you know, I've learned how to cook, you know, a vegan meal, you know. Uh, Are you I, vegan? 80% of the time, 85% of the time. I lose weight fast, so I got to put the the, the uh, protein back on. Um, but, like, I did boxing, and I, I got really good at boxing because I had that, it's just that, uh, that crazy gene where you try to master any and everything you do. And then I was, like, cycling in Chicago for a couple summers, and I got the bike, I had the helmet, I had the shoes, like, and I was going for miles and miles every day, just locked in and then like the golf, 
you know, you kind of you want to say it's an addictive gene, but I don't think I have it. You don't want to have that. So I just That's say it's, thing. Yeah, you just say something else. So you go you go about like having a purpose with everything that you do. And when you do that, I think you get the most out of yourself. You see the results and it just becomes like. It's like breathing, like you just like that's just how you go about life. Anything you do, you want to do it at the highest level because you realize you'll get the most out of it with the right intention. This has been Zero to IPO, a show about what it takes to become the 2015 MVP of the NBA Finals, right? <laughs> no, that's a different show. That's a different show. Special thanks to our guests, of course, Andre Iguodala and Amy Pressman, for taking the time to talk with us. And thanks as always to the Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship for collaborating with Okta to bring this podcast to life. If you like what you've heard today and want to know more, check out exclusive in-depth stories from each episode on fastcompany.com. And to hear the next step in taking a company from zero to IPO, make sure to subscribe and give us a good rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Frederick Harris. And I am Joshua Davis. And we hope that maybe sometime in the future you'll tune in for our next episode, the one you've been waiting for, IPO. If you have a clear intention, it can be a very positive moment and momentum builder for the company. And so we come out of it a stronger company, which I don't know if a lot of people feel that way once they go through a process. 